Um, I want to give you a small update on what happened at the Iranian church. And I want to give you a glimpse from some of the guests from Hope Fellowship that went. And I want you to hear their lens. They're just going to give a really fast update as best they can of what they sensed, they saw, felt, or heard. Because uh, uh, if you can't be there, I want you to hear at least secondhand something cool instead of always my lens. So Dawn, I'm going to have you come up first and just kind of hook you on this mic, Dan. So there you go. Yeah, I think the first thing I know is that... And by the way, he's really excited to speak in public. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Mike walked in, and first thing I know... Everybody was really just hugging Mike, and as I walked in, people were shaking my hands like they'd always known me. And so I guess what I've seen there was a love in a church that you very seldom ever see. And then they, we got together, we were going to go into the sanctuary to find a seat. In the back row, right? That's where we're yeah. going to go. Yeah, and then they said, no, no, it was front row center. <laughs> So they took us all front row center. and All these introverts are freaking out. <laughs> yeah, and then people passed by. I don't know how many people. A lot. And they kept shaking our hand over and over again. So it was, it was pretty fantastic. So and what, what perspective is the love that we show in there? What about uh, the end of the service there when they were starting to respond to good news? What did you sense here? What was your observation? All the people gathering up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're all gathering up at the front and whatever, and then uh, they asked Mike to actually pray for them, which Mike was not expecting to do. <laughs> and yeah, it, was, it was really awesome. And then they had, they had the communion. Yep. And they made sure that all real of wine. us and many others real wine. had real wine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where they also had great juice for they, some of them. Yep, yep, for those that wanted to. Anyway, yeah. Great. Excellent. Thank you, John. Watch your step. Thank you. John or Brenda, which one got the short straw? <laughs> and Jackie and Wayne decided not to show up after I asked them. Um, Don, Don covered a lot of this stuff, so I'm just going to read what I wrote on um, my phone here um, about it. And... Uh, Hang on, do that again, your code, so I can memorize it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, last Sunday's excursion to Toronto can be de described as the Iranian effect. <laughs> the, affected, the effect on my wife, Brenda, and myself was overwhelming. From the encounter in the parking lot to the gathering was an utmost pleasure. Inviting us with open arms to celebrate with them in the Lord. They were definitely engaged in song and worship in proclaiming the word of God. They are a very connected group and I would ask that we all pray for them and their journey that they are on. Also, for those who may have been clo closely connected to the tragedy of Flight 752. And we also went downstairs and also had coffee. Uh, you went because they had food. Yes. <laughs> and gathered preceding the church. And the coffee was great, but not as good as Michael's. <laughs> Thank you. 
but all, all together, it, it was a great experience. And I narrate what Don had said and whatever. And you know what? If you ever get a chance to go on, on something like this again, I encourage it because it's a great experience. We'll go with better weather next time. Yeah, can, you, can you give that mic to Dan at the back then? Yep. Don't watch your step there. Thank yep. you. Thank you. Just wanted you guys to hear kind of what the result was because we had people give their hearts to Christ, if you want to use that term. Uh, the better term, I'd say, they responded to the love of God that they heard. And um, I, I said a prayer, and it was translated, but then the pastor prayed responsive prayer for them to repeat back. And as they were responding, the emotions became deeper and real, especially a 75-year-old man that was standing beside me, short guy. And uh, mind you, they're all short there. Uh, I'm the tall guy when I show up at the Iranian church. <laughs> it's very funny. Um, but he... What I didn't know until midweek this week was he came, he's only been in Canada three or four months, and uh, he told the pastor, he said, Pastor, I'm 75, I'm an old man. What can I possibly still do to change? Uh, there's no hope for me. Uh, what God will you know, affect me, however he worded it. And he was the one right beside me with the deepest passion and tears praying uh, in response to Christ revealing himself in him, which is what I was sharing. I was talking about a good God, a loving God, uh, that God, the Father, is the same as the Son, and so on. And the, it, it was very moving. I was bawling my eyes out. I couldn't help it. It's just, you, you can't help but respond. And that was, anyway, that's what we saw. It was, it was pretty cool. And have Hope Fellowship, we had five people in the front row witnessing all this too. I've never had that happen before where a whole bunch of people like that you know, made a resolve to believe in Christ. And it's been almost 30 years for me as a pastor. It's a lesson to learn in that. Yeah. Anyway, it was really cool. So thank you for sharing and having the guts to do that. Uh, Dan, I've got a ring that's uh, pretty deep. Uh, my, my voice isn't that low, but um, at least I don't think so. All right, let's start. Father, I pray this morning you reveal something in us, as in your light, your presence, and inspire us to respond to what is already true in us. May these scriptures that we're going to share this morning be an encouragement to the foundation of what we should be thinking about all the time, our new defaults, the old defaults. Uh, Father, if there are some default settings in us that crept their way in that do not reflect our true identity, please teach us how to disconnect them and not live from them, but to live from the true connections and responses deep inside. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Oops, I guess I should turn this on. Here we go. Oops, I'll talk about that later. All right, foundational beliefs throughout oh, 202. <laughs> I did a lot of editing today, okay? Oops, just imagine zero there. Um, we began the year talking, or the end of the year talking about the Advent, and then last week we began to talk about the resolve, or two weeks ago we talked about the resolve to believe in advance and what are our core beliefs. Today I want to continue um, focusing on what should be a really important foundation. Because 2020, yeah, we've been talking about how exciting it's going to be, and it's going to be a great year. We can all see clearly now, ha-ha, and all that. Um, and that's nice. 
But we're going to have bumps. There are going to be days and weeks or periods of time where we're going to be discouraged. There are some unknown things coming up, stuff we can't control. We do not know what the future holds. So what are we, are we going to plan in advance? Very much like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They resolved in advance how they were going to believe. They, were gonna, they, they already chose before they arrived in Babylon a core belief, and it stayed with them when, while they were there, even though the voices of culture and other religions and influences were pummeling them. These guys were being indoctrinated. A full-on brainwash sessions were going on. And even in that, they never gave up the core of their belief and who God was. What do we do when we are blindsided by things in life? Ah, does God even exist anymore? If he's so good, why does he let this happen to me? And we immediately go to freak-out mode. Most of us, anyway. And some of you who are more introverted, you do it inside your head. <laughs> it happens. We question things. And you know what? Those questions are important, and they're good. They're legitimate. Don't mistake in the idea that if you're questioning God or have doubts, that that is a lack of faith. It's evidence of faith. Don't make somebody feel guilty for questioning things. I think we need a lot more questions. Because we think we got all the answers, and we don't. We have the one who is the answer, and even that is a mystery that we need to continue to explore. So I want to zoom in on some really important things to remember, uh, especially with Paul Young speaking next Sunday morning. Um, uh, this is how I want to launch 2020 uh, for the second Sunday of the year. And may these verses come back to your mind in times of difficulty, in times of joy, constantly laying the foundation because if you don't lay a good foundation, especially if you, if you build a, 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 a building on your property, Jesse, let's say you were to build a pretty heavy-duty shed, you don't just plop it on the grass and put two-by-fours down and build the outside. It would work for a little while until a storm came or until a flood came. You have to build a foundation, even pour concrete, right? There has to be some kind of foundation. I'm reminding you of your foundation. You may not know it, but I want to help you see it. All right, Philippians 2, we're going to read it from a few translations because I want you to catch this. Um, this is so, so important uh, as we grow and want to grow. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Let me highlight on a few things. Now, a couple of the other translations that I'm going to show you say it almost more beautifully, but I want to highlight a couple things here. Work hard for your salvation. There we go. That's what this is saying, right? Work hard for your salvation. That's, that's what we've been quietly, well, it's been implied in the system of religion. Yeah, God saved you, but you've got to work to maintain it, work to keep it, and you better work hard to get it if you haven't got it. That's not at all what this says. It says, Work hard to show the results. How you behave matters. I don't know how many times I've been accused of teaching grace and you say, well, you're just saying that behavior doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter how you behave. Oh, yes, it does. 
It just, I'm not going to pummel people like religion does. Religion's sin-obsessed, behavior-obsessed, and over-focused on behavior. When I'm saint-obsessed, I'm obsessed with seeing Christ in you. I want to go for the truth, the real foundation of who you are, not the behavior. How you act simply reveals what you are thinking about or believing at any given time. For everybody, guaranteed, everybody lives their lives based on how or if and how they perceive who God is, if he exists or not. And they live in how they see themselves, loved or unloved, shameful or free. Everybody lives their lives in response, and it can go like this, like crazy. Everyone does. So this is about working hard to show the results. Show Christ is in you, and he wants out. We've said that for years here. It's like this little secret. He's tucked away. He wants, he wants out. Let him out. Show what is already true in you outside. Let's get hit another translation here. I love this. Passion translation says, Now, you must continue to make this new life fully manifested as you live. Or in the Aramaic, it can be translated, push through the service of your life or work the work of your life. This is, this is about taking what is true of you already, which is a huge admission. It requires an intentional affirmation of who already lives in you. Because if you're doubtful of that, you're going to live like that. You're going to live with tension, struggle, and trying to control, and is my behavior matching up, and am I doing this right, versus messing up and knowing full well I'm still a saint, and I, I don't like that pattern because that does not reflect who I really am. When we teach our kids growing up, usually we, well, traditionally you give them heck when they act bad and praise them when they're good, but usually we forget to praise them when they're good. We're so focused on their behaviors, and there's some training involved there. It's still necessary. But sometimes, and I've had to learn this, and sometimes more for myself, that when a child is misbehaving, you speak to the child's behavior and say, this is not who you are. You, the real you, is amazing. That isn't. So be that. Be you. Teach them who they are. It takes the rest of your life. I'm 50, 50 or 51. I don't know how old I am anymore. Anyway, um, that's okay. In that ballpark. Halfway there. Whoa, living on a prayer. Anyway. <laughs> so I'm still learning this and, and newly learning this. And Elizabeth, you're learning this. And I won't ask you how old you are, but everybody can guess. You know? <laughs> you know, we joke about this all the time. She's awesome. But... If at her age and her history of church background, pastor's family, you name it, and her heart to want to know God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, her desire to want to know more and better at her age is still flourishing and growing. There's still so much to learn. What are we in a rush for? Don't think you've arrived. Your little cubbyhole of what you think God is? Oh my goodness, that's got, we've got to blow up boxes here. Yeah. You must continue to make this new life manifested as you live in the holy awe of God. The previous translation said, with reverence and fear. Fear does not mean, oh, that's not the fear it's talking about. 
It's about awe reverence. That's the fear of the Lord that they're talking about. God has invited us. He's made himself approachable. We're the ones having a hard time not believing it, just like in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, God knew full well what they had done, and he still went to have lunch. What do we do when we know somebody's been bad? We, huh, I'm not going over there. <laughs> you know. But God knew full well. And who had the problem? Adam and Eve. They are the ones who saw themselves as unapproachable, shamed, naked. And God said, where are you? Where are you hiding? Who told you you were naked? He, he, he's calling out the lie. It's not who you are. And there was a darkness that hit them that was not going to get fixed until the cross. And that's why they couldn't eat from the tree of life anymore, I think. So, as you live in holy awe of God, which brings you trembling into his presence, a good trembling, because there's, there's, oh my goodness, look at the awe of God's presence. And by the way, we don't have to go into his presence. We're in his presence. His presence is in us. All right? If you need that imagery, go for it. If that has to be your tutor until you live in the full awareness of his presence, great. If you have to go to a place and have a prayer at a certain spot, go do that until you come to the place where you have freedom to or not to. Many people feel they have to go to a place to pray, have to have that ritual, but now we get to. It's very different. God will continually revitalize you. Who will? God will. You can't revitalize yourself. You cannot recharge yourself. Implanting within you the passion to do what pleases him. Have you ever had a desire to do something kind? How many are parents, or have been parents, have expressed love to a child? Okay. That is the love of God being, hey, hey, you be nice to your dad. <laughs> Dad, you didn't show me love. <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> that was implanted in you, in your DNA, the true you, by God. God is the source of that. God is love. He's the author and the source. And God will do the planting of the passion. I like the previous translation better when it says like this, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So God is actually in charge of inspiring you. Oh, and if he's going to give you the idea, now let's, let's fill your bank account of energy. I'll, I'll be your source and we'll fill you up and let you do it. Oh, wait, and I've already got the result figured out. I've got, I got this. So you can just rest. It's hard to rest because we're so programmed to do I'm a professional at that, and I got more unlearning to do than most of you. Not easy. The mere translation, oof, get ready for this. Philippians 2, 13 to 15 instead, instead of 12. Uh, this is just the way he wrote it, and he writes it with a uh, devotional type of way. It's, it's beautiful. He writes, discover God himself as your inexhaustible inner source. He ignites you with both the desire and energy that matches his own delight. Which means you got to believe God delights in you. 
If for any small sliver of darkness you think God's disappointed with you, it's going to hinder believing this core foundation. He absolutely adores you. He's inspired by you. He's put himself in you. Huh. Your entire life is a poem. Ooh, you're a piece of art, not a piece of work. You're a poem. Any undercurrent murmurings or argumentative debating would be completely out of place. Do not let such issues disrupt the rhythm of your conversation. Watch what you say to one another. And again, none of us have arrived at this one. <laughs> your flawless innocence radiates attraction as beacons of light in the midst of a people who have forgotten their true sonship and whose lives have become distorted and perverse. That is a powerful verse. You and I are beacons of light radiating the goodness of God. No, I'm not. Well, maybe right now you don't think you are, but you are. The more you believe it, the stronger the radiation happens. And yeah, that dumb alert we got this morning from the nuclear plant, <laughs> different radiation. Thank goodness it was false. <laughs> but your flawless innocence, you're not dirty. You are innocent. Not because of what you say or have done. Your behavior may not look innocent, but the core identity, your true self, is innocent because you're fused to Christ in Christ. Your true identity is your union with Jesus. That is innocent. That is pure. Start to act like who you really are. I was telling a story at the Farsi-speaking Iranian church about a watch I received years ago, and um, it was given to me for free at a conference. A guy, I guess, got tired of me asking for what time it was and gave me his watch. I wore it for a year, having fun. I built a shed out back, tilled the garden, banged it up, blah, blah, blah. Isn't that nice? And the battery woke, you know, ran out. Took it to a place to get the battery changed. They wouldn't do it. He said, they said, you got to go to a professional jeweler. I went, yeah, right. Fine. Went to the jeweler and told him the story. Some guy gave me the watch, and the jeweler looked at me and went, really? And I could tell from his look that there's something about this watch. I said, why? Is it a good watch? Oh, yeah. I said, oh, really? Well, look at it. It said Sapphire Crystal. It said Movado for brand. And it, I think it was 14 karat gold. What's that? Pure gold or something? Well, close enough. What, it's got enough. It's got enough gold. I don't know. It's good, it's good gold. There we go. It's good gold. So, so I said, so what, 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 uh, what do you think that was worth or is worth? He said, well, this brand new, this was $2,500 to $3,000. No wonder the guy was grimacing when he took it off his wrist, handing it to me. God told me to give you this. <laughs> you Sure. Then he said, would you like a new band on it and can I polish it up? Yeah. And I never wore it in the garden again. I never wore it doing construction. Why would I not do that again? Because I discovered its value and I treated it according to its value. That is you. That is me discovering our value, our identity. 
Know who you are so that you treat yourself better. Treat yourself as God sees you. You're not damaged goods at all. You may have done some stupid stuff, but the stupid stuff doesn't define your identity. It just defines what you've done. Big difference. You can live for the rest of your life with that guilt and shame. That's your choice. But God's not called you to that. He's called you to live from the innocence already in you. Do you hear the good news? You are valued. Lori, as soon as I got home, quickly looked it up on eBay to see what it would sell for. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Galatians 5.6. This comes from Michael Gordon today. He texted me early this morning and I could not help but take it and plop it up on the screen and add a couple translations into this because this is another core thing. He didn't know I was going to be talking about core beliefs, but Galatians 5, verse 6b, second half, I've got all these four translations I want to read to you to remind you of something, that this is simple. It's not a complicated message. But my life is complicated. What I've done is complicated. I'm sure it is to you. But from God's lens, it's simple, not easy. Simple. All that matters now is living in the faith that is activated and brought to perfection by love. Believe the love in you. Love activates your faith. The love of God has been placed in you. The faith you have has been given to you as a gift. You cannot create faith on your own. It's been given. Each one of us have been given a measure of faith. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You got a rebuttal? Yeah, but, well, this is what matters. The faith you have is expressed in love. Your actions, behavior shows and proves the love there. There are times it seems to prove it's not there because we don't always act like who we are, but that's the hypocrisy. Not being loving. Some people think it's hypocritical to act loving when you don't feel loving. Well, I don't feel. I'm trying to live according to my feelings. Well, stop living according to your feelings. Go deeper than that. Go to the core. You are a good, loving person. That's what we live from. It's hypocritical not to live loving. Do you hear the difference between those two? I hope so. F love fuels faith. That's the mirror translation. It's easy for love to believe. Love already believes in you. Respond. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's simple. And Mike wrote today, praying today that our focus will change from being right to expressing Jesus' love. Well, that's a switch for 2020. How, how many of you, don't put your hands up. How many of us love being right? <laughs> don't put your hand up. We all do. Every one of us likes to be right, likes to be understood. I'm one of the worst. I really am. No amen, Lori. I can hear it. But maybe instead of trying to be right, be loving, be understanding. God did not call you to be the correction cop, the theological police. 
the sheriff to kind of referee people's theological arguments. Mm -mm. That's the Holy Spirit's job only. There are no openings for that role. It's already filled, and so are you. Let's not try to be right. Shoot, I got practices at home now. Okay. <laughs> Hebrews 8, 7 to 13. Last thing for today. I want you to remember the new covenant and the benefits that we have as believers. The old covenant was a commitment God made to the Jewish people. You're not Jewish. It was a commitment to Jewish people. And with it came rules that even God did not want there. Here's an example. Several times we see through Scripture, God says, I did not want your sacrifice stuff. So how did they hear that he did and then wrote it down? It's a big one. So God took that lie, that false concept of who they thought God was, and he redeemed it by becoming the sacrifice for you and I. So let's get done with this system of lies, these false concepts you have of me. Let's, let's fix this. Let's correct humanity's image of who we are, who the Trinity is. <laughs> and they came, lived and dwelt among us, and now lives in us in a profound way. Let me just read this through. For if that first covenant had been flawless, there would have been no need to look for a second one. That's huge. Some people say, well, the law of God is perfect. Well, that's nice, but there's something wrong with it. Well, how can it be something wrong if it's perfect? Perfect implies no fault. Not true. While it may have been perfect in its writing or concept or whatever that system was, it was um, powerless. There was a flaw in the law. It had no power to change you. It only revealed the, the gunge and garbage of our bad behavior. That's all it did. It could never fix us. And so Jesus came and did away with that covenant and instituted a new covenant that only he could do. And that's the one we live under. We don't live by those old covenant rules the Old Testament rules. Is there truth and good stuff sprinkled out through it? Yes, but there's also a lot of bad stuff sprinkled through. And if you happen to read and live by those things, you're going to look like a nutcake. You're going to look like a confused person who blows back and forth in the wind and cannot decide, oh, but the Bible says this, it also says that, and you're just all over confused when really it's simple. Let love rule you. Know that we are under a new covenant God finds fault with them when he says, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors. On the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. So I had no concern for them, says the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Here it is. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, 
For they shall know me already from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. I will be merciful towards their iniquities and remember their sins no more. We just finished singing a song, the last one, His mercy endures forever, His mercy endures forever, His mercy endures forever. We, we've sung this other, other song that, if Hillsong sings it too often, it's like, uh, His love endures forever, His love endures forever. <laughs> A lot of endures forever, over and over and over and over and over. Is it forever or not? He will not remember your sins anymore. This is old covenant, old covenant language. He says he's going to put it in the tablets of our heart. He's going to put it deep in us. Some people say that we have a wicked heart. We can't trust our heart. You don't have a wicked heart. The Bible does not say you have a wicked heart. You've been given a new one by Christ. That's an old covenant verse taken the wrong way. You have the heart of Christ in you. Your heart is one with Jesus. You can trust your heart. Not your sports gut. Your heart. Your heart. And speaking of a new covenant, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and growing old will soon disappear. This line is really important. In speaking of a new covenant, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and growing old will soon disappear. So obsolete and disappearing are two different things. Something's not finished yet. Do you realize there was a time in history where two covenants, one was obsolete, old, and the new had already been instituted and were overlapping for a period of time. For at least 40 years. After Christ's death, after his resurrection in AD 70, the old covenant disappeared from paper and practice. When Jesus died on the cross and the new covenant was instituted, there wasn't a trumpet shout in the temple, guys, we're done, we're off for the rest of our lives, we don't have to do this stuff anymore. Didn't happen. Woo, holy. No, they kept on slice and sacrifice and offering and it was terrible. They kept on, but it had to come and it came to a bloody end. You got to do some history. Um, Josephus, a non-Christian historian, wrote about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD and how horrible it was. That destruction came. That's why Jesus warned them. There's a day coming. Don't run to the city. Run to the hills. He was talking about 70 AD when heaven and earth will be destroyed. Heaven and earth was the temple. They, heaven and earth was the temple, the holiest of holies, where they meet. The Jews understood heaven and earth. You and I don't. We think, oh, heaven, it's not destroyed. Ooh, earth, nope, still here. Guess, guess we're not done. Yes, we are. We're living in a new age. The age of the kingdom of God having arrived. This is good news. So from this text, three things I want you to walk away with today. One, your identity in Christ. It's written on your hearts. Don't forget that this year. Don't forget your identity, who you really are, not your behavior. Remember, Christ is in you, your union. You already know Christ. You know him already. Get to know him better. It's like that Christmas carol. Get to know him better, my son. I think it was in the Muppet Christmas carol. To know me, know me better. What'd you say? I don't know. Maybe know me, know me better. Yeah, just, anyway. Christ in us. Don't become as forgetful as that guy. 
We need this constant reminder. And lastly, we are eternally forgiven. Our past, present, and future sins have been forgiven forever. He will not remember your sins. If I cut off my hand accidentally or a finger, uh, I go to the hospital. Let's say finger because it's not as gross. So I go to the hospital, have it on ice. I've been dismembered. And when I go back into the hospital and there's still health there, they're able to remember it to my hand, reconnect it. God is not going to remember your sins by choice because they aren't who you are. So how about you learn to also not see yourself by those sins? And sin is just missing the mark. That's really what it is. Missing how God sees you for real. Each time you don't believe it, that's called a sin because you're not seeing yourself as Christ sees you. Oh, it's so simple. Let's not complicate it. Lastly, a contemplative prayer. May my grasping and yearning dissolve into stillness. May my fretting and thinking dissolve into silence. May my worries and fears dissolve into love. And may my soul forever rest in the mercy of your grace. That's a powerful prayer. Powerful concept. Sometimes I have to remind myself there is nothing wrong with me. I have patterns to unlearn, new behaviors to embody, and wounds to heal. But there's nothing wrong with the core of me and who I am. I am unlearning generations of harm and remembering love. It just takes time. Don't beat yourself up. If you are doing that, You've just revealed you have a very brutal, false, high expectation that nobody can meet, not even God. So why is your expectation higher than God's? It's a good question. Maybe your expectations need to get chucked. Contemplate. Pray. Ask God to reveal himself in you. <laughs> Father, this morning, wake us up to what is true in us. Help us to see the value that we have in your sight and treat ourselves according to that value and stop doing harm to ourselves. <laughs> Amen. For those uh, watching online, I want to remind you of a conference coming up. Those that are here, obviously, we talked about this at the beginning of the service. But uh, this conference is going to be available on live stream, so if you're not local, um, you can register for the uh, live stream registration, and we'll send you the link to where it's going to be live streamed. Um, go to the Eventbrite page, either at growinggrace.ca or hopefellowshipycc.com, and that'd be great. And if you're on Facebook, please share. Share these links wherever you go, because I don't do it too often. Not too many times I blitz like crazy. And uh, this, this weekend is going to be quite intentional, and I, I'm excited for what's going to come as a result of it. So that's it. Oh, oh my goodness. <sighs> you are good. You have been created to be good. So be good. How many parents have rescued their child from harm? stopped them from running across the road into traffic, saved their life at times, prevented a bully, kept sharp objects from them to protect their kids. How many have protected their children? Why do you do that? 
<laughs> I know, some of you are thinking, I know, I've thought that too. <laughs> so you do it because you value your child. Your child's been created to be loved. You are created to be loved. So if you do for your child, listen to this, do it for yourself. Let that sink in for a minute. Do it for yourself. We're good at, oh, it's easy, everybody else. But you are not created for that pain going on constantly. If you're going to protect your child from stuff like that, then now start to believe it for yourself. Don't let yourself be treated like that. There's been a number of relationships I've had to say goodbye to because... They were harmful to my mind. And I've talked to many here, you all, most of you, many of you know exactly the persons in your lives that you've had to disassociate because it's been pummeling, pummeling, pummeling constantly. You're not created for that pain. You're created to be whole and healed. Ask God to reveal to you how you can walk through that for yourself. Let's take that home. Thanks.